The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. How can you channel your inner RBG? Hey, listeners, welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And at the time of this recording, Rosh Hashanah has just ended, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg also passed away on the first night of Rosh Hashanah. And so as Jackie and I were talking about what we wanted to discuss today, it felt like there was nothing more more relevant than the fact that Rosh Hashanah is here, that someone who's been incredibly powerful and left a mark on the world, passed away on the first night of Rosh Hashanah. And the reason that that's meaningful is that according to Rabbi Richard Jacobs, one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah suggests that very righteous people die at the very end of the year because they were needed until the very end. And so we were just kind of touched by the fact that these two things came at the same time, as sad as it is that, you know, RBG has passed away. It's also really powerful to see, you know, someone like her having sort of passed the torch to all of us. And so Jackie and I are reflecting on our own lives, and hopefully you will too, around how you can be a little more like RBG. And then, of course, the fact that we're in the middle of COVID and typically Rosh Hashanah is a really powerful time to spend with your family, with friends, with people, you know, in your church, your community. I was going to say church, synagogue community. So, Jackie, I mean, the first thing is like, what was it like for you this year having, you know, so much distance between people? It's a good question. And it's funny because Rosh Hashanah this year I spent with my family, as I always do, but services were through Zoom, naturally, right? We didn't actually go to synagogue. And at the time, it felt really nice. We had a great setup. I was in my sister's house. We had a big TV. And the night, the first night of Rosh Hashanah, which was Friday night, we call it Erev Rosh Hashanah. It means Rosh Hashanah Eve. And that was the night that RBG died. You know, we sat in front of the TV with a glass of wine And then on Saturday morning when we did services, we sat with coffee and breakfast, and it felt really nice. At the same time, as I was reflecting last night, which which was the close of Rosh Hashanah, and now we have eight days leading up to Yom Kippur, by the way, is a very um, special time. It's a time of reflection. And for our listeners, um, I know we can get more into Rosh Hashanah and what it means. I know that people who are not Jewish know of Rosh Hashanah. They, I think they always know it's like the Jewish New Year, but, and maybe some people don't know anything about it, but it is one of the the holiest times for, for Judaism. But this is a, a very personal time, right? It's a time when we reflect on the year before us and then what we really want for, for the coming year. And so as I was reflecting last night, I realized that I really did not connect with Rosh Hashanah this year as I normally do. And I think a big part of that was not physically being in a synagogue. We were following along on the pages that the rabbi was telling us to do when we were doing the prayers, but it didn't, the at-home sanctuary did not feel the way a sanctuary does in synagogue. 
And I think that lack of connection for me kind of made me realize just how important this time of year is. And if I don't actually put some intentionality around what this means to me, what this past year was like for me, what I want for the new year. And I I honestly think there is no better person to look to than Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is such an, a female icon, such an icon in this world. I say this world, I, I, I always treat like, I mean, she was in the world, but you know, the US, we, we kind of operate as if we we're like our own, our own little world, but such a, um, an inspiring role model to look after. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's just a lot here, the connection between her dying, the new year, and just so much we can learn from her that I, I'd love to, I'd love to talk about today. Yeah, I mean, thanks for for sharing that. It's you know, someone who's who grew up Christian. I think about Christmas, of course, as the time where I'm with my family, and how you know, typically that's really special, and and not being with them can be really difficult, and not connecting to the the holiday. But you know, I it's funny thinking about Rosh Hashanah. This is my first year, you know, experiencing Rosh Hashanah, and it took me a bit of time to kind of get to this point. But you know. I, I too, after studying Kabbalah for a year and doing Rosh Hashanah, felt I wish I could have been around more people. And I felt how special, you know, it was to, you know, create some of the things that I was able to create and to be able to watch and tune in to the Kabbalah Center and their, you know, celebrations and, you know, even to see your texts and pictures. But there's something really special about being with others and, you know, as powerful as self-reflection is, there's this really nice element of being around other people who you know are doing the same thing at the same time. So I, I totally hear that and wanting some of that. And and maybe even today we talk a little bit about some of the things that that we are marking the new year with and leaving behind. Well, one of the interesting things this year that the rabbi said, and that I thought was just really cool to share. So one of the traditions on Rosh Hashanah is to blow the shofar. The shofar is typically a, like a real shofar is a ram's horn. And what the shofar symbolizes is almost like a wake up call. You hear this like really powerful sound that comes out of it. And it's a way to, you know, biblically, right? Like stir Jews to mend their ways and repent, right? It's almost like wake up from your slumber. And the rabbi this year said, you know, on Rosh Hashanah in 2020, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of wildfires. We have extreme racial injustice. I mean, you name it, right? Climate change, the hurricanes. It's this year, right? Has just been such a tough year. It's almost as if we don't need the shofar this year to wake us up. He was like, how can anyone be asleep right now? <laughs> 2020 in itself has woken us up. Yeah. Like like if, if, the, if this year did anything for us, it is to wake us up and see and realize and be with it and see what change we can create. Right. Like we there, how can you be asleep right now? And so I thought it was a really just like interesting connection to the holiday that, you know, growing up, we always listened to show the shofar. And I just loved that. I loved that because I think even if you're not Jewish, you can relate. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yes, we have all been woken up this year. That's such a beautiful way to put it. And I also love that Rosh Hashanah falls 
at a time when we aren't as, you know, an American population celebrating a new year yet. So it kind of felt to me like I had this like purposeful pre like moment where I could really think and be intentional about how I want to spend the rest of the American year while also knowing that I celebrate and, and observe Rosh Hashanah. There's something really great about this sort of check-in and you're right. It's like, we've all been woken up and the question is now what? And I think one of the things that came up for me was thinking about the value of the work that she did. And Marianne Williamson posted something about her that I thought was really incredible. She shared that she has mixed feelings about the death of RBG. On one hand, she loves John Irving's words, give her back, God, give her back. But on the other hand, really part of what she shared is, of course, that, you know, RBG died the evening of Rosh Hashanah, but also that we as a collective are being woken up. And as a collective, and each as individuals, we have so much more power than we in a lot of ways, believe we have, no matter your race, color, you know, ethnicity, etc. Like we, we as a collective and as individuals can come together and have a lot more power. And RBG was an amazing example of someone who stood for what was right and for equality and all of the work that she did. And yet we can't just look to her and say, oh gosh, now we're in turmoil. We have to say, well, what role do I play? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I'm curious, when you look at RBG and her career and all that she's done in terms of making, you know, her her focus on gender and, and removing discrimination there, just everything she did for equality, what do you take from her? Like, what can, what did you learn from her and how can you use that for yourself moving forward? Yeah, I mean... I feel like this year and last year, I have a close friend who is really into social justice. Like that is her work. And it's funny, I've always been like, oh, you know, I'm not super into social justice. I'm not super into politics. And you and I have talked about this before. In seeing what RBG did, I remember going to go see the documentary, you know, when it came out a few years back and and just being totally feeling a lot of respect for the work that she did and for her tenacity. It's like she was she was like a rock. Like she was there, she would sit, she would stay and she would push for what was right. Kind of no matter what, it was sort of like justice was just simply justice. It was just what was right. And, you know, I think a lot about what divides all of us as a country and some of my own opinions and others' opinions. And, you know, I'm coming from it a little bit more with a perspective of, you know, a perspective of the fact that we generally all want the same thing. Like at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. My job feels like I need to be more of a voice to step into what I believe is the right thing. And sometimes I've been a little more passive about the right thing because I like to allow people to have their opinions generally. And and generally that works, right? So so that's that's been fine because I I enjoy actually hearing people's opinions. I love hearing the the ideas of others and saying, well, how does that match up against what I'm believing? Or maybe I don't have an opinion and I really get to hear someone else's and decide if that works for me and try it on and or let it go. But now I feel like what I'm experiencing is, you know, I'm becoming more and more aware of what I truly believe is right. And I'm inspired by her work to just be better and be more vocal about what is right, even when it's not what is popular. 
The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. I think you make a, a great call out here that it's so easy to look at her as someone who did amazing things for our country and stood for what was right all the time and worked so hard all the time to get there and, and fought no matter what. And it's easy to almost separate that from yourself and be like, well, I mean, she, you know, she went to Cornell and she went to Harvard and then Columbia and she worked in the legal field. So she had direct access to changing the law. But that's not, that's not, that's not, it's not black or white, right? Just because she worked in law and she, you know, was on the Supreme Court for so long and and made such a difference in that way we could bring that back into ourselves and see how can we make a difference. And I personally, like just sitting here listening to you speak, I'm I'm really questioning for myself, what true difference do I want to make in this world? Like really, like I always fall back on, it's not a fallback, but I truly believe if I continually to work on myself to be the most loving, kind, compassionate person that I could be, then I can inspire other others to do that as well. And then for the things that I stand for and truly believe that I want to change in this world, they will come because I'm coming from this loving, kind, you know, positive, energetic place. Some people may hear that and be like, okay, that sounds hokey or whatever. But that's really what I believe is like, I, I, I need to continue to work on myself so that I can do the things I want to do in this world. But when it comes to, well, what are those things? right? It's, there's still a question mark for me. And I, when I look at RBG, she was legendary, legendary in terms of knowing what she wanted to change and how she wanted to do it. But at the same time, it did not come easy. You know, she slept like very few hours per night. (laughs) She worked tirelessly to get her communication spot on. Like they, there was a lot of like documents you could read about or information of how she looked at every single word 
that she chose, like that she put in a document or that she was going to orate and, and made sure it was the right way to say the right thing. It didn't come so easy. Right. Like, and, and I, and I think the biggest thing I take from her is like hard work pays off. Like she just worked so hard and it's inspiring. It's inspiring to me because you can really change things when you put the time and the effort in. So I guess all this is to say is like, I'm inspired. And also like, there's a question mark for me of like, really, what, what can I do? Like, how can I channel my inner RBG? Yeah, I mean, I think that's beautifully put that, you know, part of the reason I think you and I love self-development so much is that we see the impact it has on the way that we are in the world. And I think a lot of what we see in the world is people who are hurt or hurting, hurting people, right? That phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And so the more you can heal yourself, it's like healed people can heal people, right? So really coming from that place of love is incredibly powerful. And, you know, I I used to go see Marianne Williamson every two weeks at a church in uh, Midtown Manhattan. And it was at the very beginning of my spiritual journey, and she was teaching a course in miracles. So Marianne is Jewish, but she she teaches and works with a course in miracles, which is essentially a text that's not uh, religious, but it's like a secular spiritual text about how to essentially transcend in the way you know a lot of the other spiritual texts are. So the the Zohar, which is the Kabbalistic interpretation of the Bible, and then the Bible, and you know so many other other texts. I remember going there and feeling like it was a sanctuary and I would go and I would feel so different at the end. But something she said that used to trigger me was you can't show up here and act like you're doing the spiritual work and then not show up in the world for the world. And I remember feeling so scared because I used to always say like, oh, I'm, just, I'm just not super political or I'm just not super, I just don't really know about social justice. I don't really know exactly what it is I, I stand for in the world that I won't sit down for. And only in the last like, I don't know, month have I started to really understand deeper and deeper how important it is and become comfortable with with that, right? Because sometimes on a spiritual path, you know, you get so wrapped up in healing yourself and in the that work, which is incredibly powerful, but you forget that you need to show up at the table. And so this was something when I read Marianne's quote after RBG died that I was like, wow, this is this is power. And you know, to your point, Jackie, it's like as you do better, you know, you will be energetically better for others who can then better themselves. And the question really is, you know, not do I have power? Am I in legal the legal field? Am I able to make, you know, some of these changes at such a high level? It's how can I make a change? What are the tables that I sit at that I can make a change at? And some people associate that with these, you know, essentially made up versions of power, right? Like in corporations, you know, am I sitting at the at the table with the executive team? Am I sitting on the Supreme Court justice? Well, it, it, the country isn't just reliant on those people. Because if you can go sit at a table at your dinner table and share something different than what someone else might believe and and be curious also about what they believe, you can change people and people change the world, not the powerful people only, but all of us. So it's just, it really is making me think like, you know, how am I showing up to the table and how can I be braver than I've been looking at someone who's been brave 
you know, alongside being sick so much, like she has, she continued to be brave no matter what. And that's really inspiring. Yeah. So well said. And there are tables, you know, quote unquote, that will come into our lives and that we will be at because that is where life brings us. And then there are tables that we have to really identify that we want to be at. And I think that's another question is what role do we want to play? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, not just how will I play or what role can I play where I'm at today, but what role do I want to play and what table do I want to be at and want to sit at? And we all, to your point, have the power to decide and the power to choose and the power to change. But I love that because it also brings me back to what you know is one of my favorites. Like life happens in micro moments and it's in these moments that we really, you know, can change ourselves, but also change others. And it's what we do at that family dinner table. It's what we say. It's how we show up to how we show up in the boardroom to how we show up in front of a, you know, a judge. And if it's anything, if we've learned anything that's here, it's also what we don't say. And like the power of what we say and also the incredible power of what we don't say. Yes. And I think that's, that's, you know, you mentioned like the wake up call. It's like back to the wake up call, right? How many people, especially white people in this country who, you know, haven't spoken up when it comes to racial justice or things like this. I think that's where it's really bubbled is, you know, when you're silent, you're actually still powerful. You're still making a choice. It's sort of like that quote around making no decision is still making a decision. And we like to like, it's sort of like this really easy mode to say, well, I didn't make a choice. So nothing happened. It's like, no, you you made a choice by not making one. So I just think in general, in every area of life and of how we treat other humans, our silence isn't going to work anymore in any way. No, you're, you are, you are right. And in this time of year, whether you're Jewish or not, it is a, a great spiritual moment for all of us to connect to. You know, we say it, in Hebrew, it's Shana Tova Vemetuka. It's, it's Happy New Year, Happy New Year, and a sweet new year. And so it's really looking at the sweetness that is to come. And, you know, with, with Yom Kippur coming, and I said earlier about repenting your sins, it's a time to shed the negative, feel the positive, and move forward. Mm-hmm. in that way. And I love it because we can all connect to it, right? You don't, again, you don't have to be Jewish to connect to it. And I know for me, this, this time, this next week, I'm really going to sit with this and I'm, re- I'm really going to think about what role do I play and how can I make a difference in a way that I haven't before? Yeah. And I, I do too. I think it is a reflective time. And I love that there's these sort of, you know, there's Rosh Hashanah and then there's 10 days before Yom Kippur. And so we have this space to repent. And and when we say repent, I think it's really important to, you know, for me, sometimes that feels a little intense as someone who, who grew up in church. And, you know, there's this this element of sin or being bad. And I, I think the the truth behind repentance that I've learned from my own Kabbalah teacher is really what are the actions and attributes I've taken in my life that I'd like to leave behind? And it's the true belief that you can change and that you can be changed. And so it's really a space to sit and say, what am I leaving behind that no longer serves me anymore? 
And what do I want to bring on board? You know, what are some of my desires and and, in for the next year? What am I looking for? And what am I grateful to today? And so last week, I took some time to sit with these three things, you know, what did I want to leave behind around actions and attributes? What did I want to create for the new year? And what was I grateful for in the moment? in my life right now. And it was a really powerful space for me to sit with it and also to realize there are more actions and attributes to be worked with. I definitely don't want to say fixed, but to be worked with and really feeling gratitude for where I am today. I I like those questions a lot because they're super actionable, right? And, And you can just spend some time. And because it's September, then we have January 1, which is New Year's Eve on the Gregorian calendar. And so we get to, you know, reassess in a few months also and then start a new year. Yeah, I mean that's that's wonderfully put Jackie and I think you and I will will definitely spend some time thinking about what what change we want to make. And I love that you shared, you know, what change do you want to make? Where do you want to show up? What's a cause that is worth standing up for and not sitting down for until you've made real change and progress there. And for our listeners, you know, spend some time just thinking about this, reflecting a little bit on, you know, what might support you in shifting your life towards what you want? What can you leave behind? What are you grateful for today? And what would you like to see in your life? And that is really what sets you on the path to making change for yourself and then for the world. And so we're so excited to see, you know, where you all end up. We're excited to see where we end up and committed to figuring this out and being a little bit more like RBG. So thanks so much for tuning in. And you know where to find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and of course, on LinkedIn. Have a great day, everyone. 